0: Welcome to Health Hats, learning on the journey towards best health. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege living in a food oasis who can afford many hats and knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. Most people wear hats one at a time, but I wear them all at once. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. Lately, I worry about the health and wellness of lab technicians. According to the NIH, the National Institute of Health, managing COVID-19 depends on nationwide, easy-to-use, accurate testing. This especially means testing of populations working in high-risk occupations, teachers and students, and nursing home residents and workers. But until we have widespread, reliable home testing, the more we rely on the limited number of burning-out lab technicians. So, when my old crony Mark Hayward Johnson reached out to me to tell me about Project COPE, chronicling healthcare providers' pandemic experiences, I said, Tell me more. And he described a study of the moral stress and burnout of healthcare workers during this COVID 19 era. As a person involved with PCORI, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, I'm familiar with the HERO Registry. That's the Healthcare Worker Exposure and Response Registry. This research initiative seeks to engage healthcare workers to understand the impact of COVID-19 on their health. I asked if COPE was a study of doctors and nurses. And Mark said, yes and more anyone who self identifies as a healthcare worker i asked if they included massage therapists environmental services workers family caregivers and lab techs and he said yes and more so i set up this conversation with mark and his compatriot smitty hevner sullivan i'll let them introduce themselves and tell you about project hope Welcome to Health Hats, the podcast. How about you guys introduce yourselves so then I don't have to introduce you?
1: I'm Smitty Hevner. My pronouns are he, him, his. I am a research manager with Prisma Health, a hospital system in Greenville, South Carolina, and a PhD candidate at Clemson University. I am one of the co-PIs on Project COPE. And I study moral distress and burnout in healthcare workers.
0: So Project COPE, C-O-P-E. That's correct. Okay, cool.
2: And I'm Mark Johnson. I'm a registered nurse. I'm also a PhD student. Um, Recently joined the team at Project COPE. I live near Greenville, South Carolina as well. I met Danny, gosh, going close to 10 years ago, we were working together on what was at the time called the E-Connecting with Patients HEMS Committee way back when. So Yeah,
0: that was such an important moment for me. I met Jane Sarasong Khan, John Wall, Jan Oldenburg. These are my peeps.
2: Sherry Reynolds. I was among giants when I was on that committee is what I felt like. That's what
0: I felt. I felt the same. I was like, what am I doing here? But pretty much everybody's told each other, you're here for a reason, get over it.
2: (laughs) That was a great group. Absolutely.
0: It was. Okay. So Mark, you did some, you've done consulting work for a long time.
2: Yeah. I worked for a a software company for the last 13 years. I took a big dive uh, here in 2020 and, Resigned that position and I'm focused full time on this PhD in nursing science at the University of South Carolina in Columbia. So, uh, big change for 2020, like everything else that's going on.
0: Yeah. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about Project COPE? I'll
2: let Smitty do that as one of the co PIs. He and Ann Blair Kennedy, Dr. B- Ann Blair Kennedy, are the uh, principal investigators for Project COPE and i will just before he jumps in to talk about it i will i'll connect how i got involved with project cope i heard a segment on our local npr station here in south carolina educational television and radio did a a segment on project cope and i was in the middle of doing my flexibility exercises in the morning listening like i always do and i said i need to reach out to these folks because what they are doing and how we're trying to connect with healthcare workers during this pandemic is very important. And it aligns with where I think I want my nursing science research to go at a population health level. But I just wanted to give that quick introduction is how did I get involved with Project COPE? And I'll let Smitty tell us all about uh, the genesis.
0: And I have, I'll put the uh, link to that South Carolina public radio. It's not about superheroes. Episode, and I'll put that in the show notes.
2: And our new URL is uh, projectcope.info for folks who want to find more information. Projectcope.info.
1: Yeah, thank you.
2: So a little bit more
1: about my background. I am a registered nurse as well. I've been working in healthcare and nursing in some sense for 14 years. I started as a nursing assistant working in Alzheimer's units, worked my way up. I've been, I have was an LPN for a number of years, finished my RN, then my, my bachelor's, and now working into graduate education. I've been very interested in the experiences of healthcare workers because we, there's always been a lot of research about how patients experience the, health, the healthcare that they provide, but not always as much about how healthcare workers feel about the situations. Here in the re- last couple years, we've started to see more. But uh, I and a number of other colleagues, including Dr. Kennedy, have been involved in some work looking at meaning, in, in particularly in medical faculty, so physicians who are also teaching medical students. And as the pandemic was coming to the United States in early March, Dr. Kennedy and I had a phone conversation where we started talking about what we're seeing in our professions. Ann Blair, or Dr. Kennedy, is a uh, licensed massage therapist. I forget exactly how many years she hasn't practiced, but uh, quite a few, more than 15. But she also has a doctorate in public health and she is faculty at our med school. And so we were talking back and forth about what we were seeing on in our communities, in our you know professional organizations, seeing a lot of conversations about people having anxiety about the unknown, about being in your workspace, knowing that there's this pandemic coming that's going to affect, impact how you conduct yourself, how you interact with your patients, and Several factors about not really knowing how to prepare yourself for it, feeling like you're there's not a clear way for you to express your concerns into state, federal, or professional leadership. And then feeling like there's not a centralized plan. And we started thinking about these two groups of people as being people who are locked into a system. If you're an emergency room nurse, you could quit your job, but short of that, you're you kind of you're stuck. You're in a work spit workplace that maybe has a plan, but maybe doesn't, but there's not a larger plan. And you just have to sit there and wait for the pandemic to come. Whereas if you're an allied or complementary and integrative healthcare provider, you're on the outside saying, I've got skills that I could offer to help, but no one wants to have them. Some of the previous research has shown that around burnout and moral distress, massage therapy is something that's recommended to a lot of people the firefighters from 9-11, a lot of them were treated with massage therapy to help them deal with their trauma and stress. And then there's a whole body of research about the other part of their treatment being psychotherapy, where all those therapists then had secondary trauma from listening to those stories from those providers. But there's no one, evalu- no one assessed what had the massage therapist felt about it. Mm -hmm. And so we started conceptualizing this project. And if we get into the really technical terms, it is a mixed methods ethnography. And that's, in science, we love to make things more complicated than it needs to be. But essentially what it is, what that means is that we wanted to collect both some survey data which gets you some good comparability. It lets you say, especially if you have a validated measure, it's a question that's been studied and we know what it's asking and we know how people respond. We can say, this is this is representative of a group. We can repeat that same measure with another team, but it doesn't give you a whole lot of depth, right? So if you one of the questions that we ask is a single item or one question that assesses a person's level of burnout and we can get a level of burnout that is on a scale. And so we can say, look in our survey and say, this person's experiencing more, more or less burnout than this other person. And over time, we can say, oh, their level of burnout increased or decreased, but we can't really understand the why. We can ask other questions and say, oh, okay, so people who felt like they didn't have enough PPEs or protective equipment, didn't have enough masks and gloves, these people tended to have higher levels of burnout, but we don't really know the why. And that's where the mixed methods comes in. All of that is quantitative data. That's surveys and things you can measure, um, things you can count. In qualitative data, you listen to someone's talk, listen to someone talking, and you try to develop a theory about what they're experiencing. So you would apply codes to the words they're using, see if similar ideas are showing up in other people's data, and see if you can form a large picture that kind of describes the whole group. And in Project COPE, that, that qualitative portion is a, a five-minute video blog that we invite our participants to submit. And what's the really wonderful thing about that video blog is not only can the act of just recording something like that be a little bit cathartic for you as a person, help you process some of what you're dealing with. It also gives us a really incredibly rich data to where we're not just able to look at the words and not just able to look at the way they talk, the candor of their speech. but We can also look at their body language. There's a big difference between someone who's sitting upright, eyes are clear, no puffiness under their eyes. Talking about feeling that this is difficult, talking about the ways they're coping. And someone else could have the exact same words, but if they're slumped and they're speaking softly and you can see they're a little bit disheveled, you can tell that person isn't having exactly Mm -hmm. the same experience. So, with all of this data together, what we really Ultimately, what we're trying to do is to describe this experience, because in previous disasters in um, the SARS outbreak, in Hurricane Katrina, 9-11, a lot of war zone healthcare workers, we get information after the fact. We, we interview them, we do debriefs and try to get an understanding of what that experience was like. Because it's so
2: quick. Yeah.
1: Because it's often quick, but also isolated. But here we have this ability to look at the experience of while it's happening. So I, we have participants that are giving us a video blog every couple of weeks, and we can look at them. Across the whole time frame and see when they started dealing with different pieces, how they coped with different effects. And then we can also get a sense from their survey responses, because that survey platform tells us what area they're in. It gives us a, you know, we can narrow it down to a couple of counties. And we can see, okay, this is what was happening in the pandemic at that time. We were hoping to end up with this really incredibly rich data source to be able to tell these stories, because in in the newspapers and on social media, your ER nurses, your ICU doctors, your paramedics, their stories are being told over and over again, and these are really important stories to be told, but massage therapists, allied health professionals like radiology technicians, phlebotomists, athletic trainers, audiologists, chaplains. We have chaplains participating. Mm -hmm. There's not as much attention being paid to their stories. And through this, we can help represent those stories. So to date, we have over a 1,000 participants representing 20 different healthcare professions from 13 countries across the globe. The majority of them are Mm -hmm. in the United States, of course, but we we, we were able to get this sense of some of the unifying experiences that, that people are having, regardless of what profession they're actually in being motivated to help people and having all these barriers that keep you from actually
0: providing the care. So let me ask you a couple of questions, just to better understand your pool of people. So is this, you're looking at licensed healthcare workers? Is that what you're looking at here? Or yeah, so what is there? Yeah, say say more about your inclusion, exclusion of (laughs) the People who are in this study?
1: So the inclusion is really simple. There's there, the first question of the survey if someone signs up and goes to look is, Do you consider yourself to be a healthcare worker or a student in the healthcare field? And okay. we leave that entirely up to the person. And okay. we do have respondents that are like supply chain and supply chain management, yeah. a mm-hmm. few that are public health professionals, but we also have a few EDS technicians that have responded.
0: Mm-hmm. And what's EDS?
1: EVS Emer- um, Environmental Services Housekeeping. Okay, thank you. So,
0: staff. do you do you keep track of whether any of these health workers are also family caregivers?
1: Not directly. We do have a question that asks if they've had people that have gotten sick. In their family. And then there's a second question about how, how the level of impact that's had. But we decided not to directly ask about, are you providing the sole provider of care for a family member? Because it becomes harder to measure and it might be harder for someone to, to give that information.
0: Okay. Yeah. I would quibble with number one, the sole business because one of the challenges of people who are healthcare workers in general all the time is that very large cohort of people who work in healthcare who also provide some caregiving at home mm-hmm. for family members and that's a very that's becoming a whole area of interest in science itself mm-hmm. so anyway it doesn't matter it's what you do no but i think um, that's a i think it, that's a good
2: point danny because the, the the pandemic isn't centered in in the hospital or in the clinic. No. It, it it's pervasive. It, it's affecting healthcare workers while they're quote unquote offering the care as part of their profession, as well as when they get back home, when we used to be able to seal it off. Now it's everywhere. So I think that's an important decision. It's
0: everywhere and people still have dementia and Mm -hmm. chronic diseases and developmental illness. And, And so I can imagine that being a healthcare worker in a pandemic impacts. That's a factor in mental health and satisfaction with life. A- absolutely, um, so. and so uh,
1: again, that's one of the really wonderful things about doing mixed methods is when you have this qualitative component. One of the mm-hmm. prompts that we give for those videos is uh, to asking about how it's affecting their life, and so that can be an opportunity for someone to give that extra information, to give that context, because it becomes hard to try to. Ask. We d- we yeah. didn't want to make a an exhaustive survey that would take hours to fill out. Yeah, we started to keep it really short.
0: Mm-hmm. A word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at Abridge.com, A B R I D G E.com, or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. This sounds to me like you're what you're doing is you're creating a data source. And is that is is the What's the research part of it? Is the research part of it that you have a hypothesis that you're you're proving or disproving, or you're, its comparative effectiveness is A, more likely than B, to be effective? Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there, in the original study, we had nine different research questions that we were asking. And so some of the questions were, to what extent do essential healthcare workers feel prepared and supported as they head into the pandemic? And we also asked, to what extent do those, quote unquote, non-essential healthcare workers? The unfortunate reality is that our system is labeling people as essential or unessential, but we all know that community health worker, that home health caregiver is every that is essential as the ER nurse, the ER doctor. As, as as a surgeon, keeping the whole system working, and so. There's a series of questions like that that we'll be answering with a combination. Some, there are some questions that we can specifically answer with just the survey data. Mm-hmm. For example, looking at this question of preparedness, we have a question that asks about, do, does your facility, does your practice have a plan or the organization supports you have a plan for how to make sure you have masks and gloves? Do you feel like you understand the policies, like you've been given a chance to ask questions?
0: So and then you're saying and questions. then your independent variable is something like stress level or burnout level. And so you're looking at if you have all the equipment you need, are you more stressed or less stressed or like I'm trying to understand the The independent variable, or the dependent variable, sorry. Yeah.
1: So the independent variable will be these questions about, do you have access to these things? Do you feel like you've received the training? Our dependent variable in the regression analysis will be these validated measures, the Maslach Single Burnout Inventory Perceived Stress Scale. Um, There was a survey that was developed during the SARS pandemic that we've also included.
0: Okay. So what have you learned so far?
1: The biggest thing that we've learned is that people are scared. We're seeing these really powerful videos of these people that are just exhausted. They're drained, These, especially the people who have been actively working the whole time that haven't stopped seeing patients. Just this sense of overwhelmed and fatigued. We're definitely seeing increasing burnout rates as time goes on. We're in the midst of some of our initial analyses to try to quantify the exact increase of those. But interestingly, we're seeing similar increases in People's levels of burnout, regardless of whether they're part of that "quote unquote" essential or "quote unquote" non-essential group of workers, we're seeing it every bit as much in the the dent in a dentist as we are in a surgeon.
0: Mm-hmm. What change do you hope that the results of this study will motivate? So what? Like, what's going to happen? Like, what do you, research is ink on paper until? motivate somebody to do something? Like, what do you hope this will motivate? Because, so,
2: yeah, we don't think this is the last pandemic or the last natural disaster right. we're going to have to deal with, right, committee? Yeah, absolutely. Right.
1: So, in the mid 2000s, I think it was there was a, a big push to move from a triple aim to a quadru- quadruple aim to mm-hmm. consider the well-being of oh, health yeah. providers as part of the core core measures around quality healthcare. And it really wasn't very well adopted. There's a couple of health systems that did a good job, but by and large, the U.S. health system hasn't done this. My hope is that what we'll be doing is adding more evidence and more language to show just how important it is to take care of those health care providers first mm-hmm. to make sure yeah. that they are well-equipped, make sure they are safe, make sure they're able to deal with all the things that they're seeing and experiencing so they can continue to provide high-quality evidence-based care yeah. to their patients. Okay.
0: So how have you included healthcare workers in the design and implementation of this study?
1: Absolutely. That's a great question. So our team of co-investigators started out with a team of 13 that was interdisciplinary. So it was me as a registered nurse and Dr. Kennedy as a licensed massage therapist, as the co-PIs. We have another researcher who is an, an expert in massage therapy. We had a physician, a psychologist, an evaluator, and a few organizational psychology professionals. And then we also included a team of medical students and graduate students to make sure that we're getting an idea of what questions might be more relatable to some of the people that are new into the profession mm-hmm. We've also done some stakeholder engagement with nurses at my own practice, some community, we have a community paramedics program. Mm -hmm. We've engaged some of them to ask them about the questions that might be relevant for their work. And then we've also worked really hard to make sure that those people who don't have all that fancy training to to do the actual analysis can be involved in the way we're Mm -hmm. interpreting the data. And that's a part that I'm really excited about, because what we have is we have these medical students watching the videos, watching the blogs that are part of the research team, these medical students, and we asked them to think about how they would, what hashtags they would use if this was posted mm-hmm. on social media. Yeah. And that is essentially a proxy for developing themes. Yeah. So they're actually an integral part of our qualitative analysis as we move go forward.
0: How about patients? How do you involve patients in this, the design and execution and analysis of this data?
1: I'm so glad you asked that. So one of Dr. Kennedy's other roles is she is the director of our patient engagement studio, which seeks to do exactly that to make sure that the, voices and experiences of patients are not only used to help interpret research, but also help to form the design. So we did have an informal engagement with that group early on, and we are working to secure some funding to actually get some dedicated time from that team to develop some patient specific measures that we can help triangulate with and add Mm -hmm. another level of understanding to to what's happening in the pandemic.
0: So I have two more questions. And so one of them is, if you were to start over, what would you do differently?
1: That's a great question.
0: I probably would have
1: spent a lot more time recruiting. Early in the pandemic, we everyone's racing for everything. And we, we put it out in the ether, but we didn't try to hound any groups to get them to participate and we did that because we didn't want to add to people's stress but Mm -hmm. by by not doing that we have missed out on some people's stories and so i do have a concern that there may be parts of the story that we're not able to tell Uh, but that's always a limitation with research and oh, yeah. the only thing we can do going forward is to keep recruiting, trying to gather more perspectives, mm-hmm. more stories, so that we can tell a really full, all-encompassing, just describe the, the experience of all healthcare workers when we get closer to the end, whenever that is.
0: If people either want to follow this or participate in it, how would they get hold of you? Yeah, we
2: we have social media channels on Facebook. Twitter, and Instagram. The website is projectcope.info.
0: What should I have asked you that I didn't, or what should we have talked about that we haven't? I
2: want to echo just what Smitty said earlier is the therapeutic value of that opportunity for our participants to express their lived experience. I, I think that's unique in what the research we're trying to do here is because we are going through this in slow motion, it seems as healthcare providers and those folks who are dealing with this moral distress, mm-hmm. giving them an opportunity to articulate that lived experience and those frustrations where they might not otherwise have that opportunity or to to pull it out of themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's unique here. And I think that's the value. We It's... Uh, it goes both ways here is that we we can help the participants and they can help us with this research as well. And then we can help the, the healthcare system at large by doing that.
0: Very exciting. I I appreciate this conversation and thank you.
2: Danny, thank, thank you.
0: you. Yeah, Mark, you. good. Wonderful to see you again and to actually do something together. What a hoot.
2: absolutely i've i've enjoyed watching the evolution of your podcast your blog now to a podcast there at the genesis when you were kicking that idea around
0: yeah you were yeah thank you smitty nice to meet you happy thanksgiving danny thank you for working with us
2: talk to you soon smitty okay bye all right bye
0: Healthcare workers matter. Anyone who self-identifies as a healthcare worker. Lab techs, family caregivers, massage therapists, housekeepers, morgue attendants, food service, community health workers. We all matter. We need each other. We need each other as healthy as possible. I first learned about mixed methods during my second statistics class in 1989. I didn't begin to appreciate statistics until my third class in 1991. I didn't appreciate mixed methods until I became a merit reviewer for PCORI in 2014. A scientist statistician sitting next to me explained it as, Numbers alone say little, mixed methods gives the numbers life. I explained it to someone recently as numbers and stories. I fear our limited capacity to care for each other during COVID-19. It's not a limit on beds or equipment. It's a limit of caring people with expertise, all sorts of expertise. Experts in the care of me and you, experts with lived experience, experts in maintenance, experts in testing, experts, experts. It's a finite pool that we need to invest in and support for the long term, however you define it. Two weeks, a month, a year, ten years. I know many burning out expert healthcare workers ready to throw in the towel. Check out Project COPE. Enroll. Mm-hmm. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources on my website, www.health-hats.com slash pod. Please subscribe or contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.